Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Welcome, my fellow Met fans. We are on the eve of spring training 2024. Can you feel it? Thank you for listening to Rico Bronia. Thank you for downloading, subscribing, rating, doing whatever you do with podcasts and doing it with Rico Bronia. Coming up, In the next day, we will give you part two of our episode where we go through all of the Met off-seasons over the last 15 years. But on this edition of Rico Bronier, we're going to do something uh, something a little different. David Stearns met the media on Monday. He sat down. He answered questions. He did that for about 20 minutes or so. And what I thought would be fun to do is to listen to what David Stearns had to say. And then after every answer, pause what David Stearns has to say. And then we react to what David Stearns has to say. So if you missed his press conference, this podcast will be productive for you because you're going to get to hear everything he says, but you're going to get to hear it along with analysis. So we thank SNY because they are the ones that aired the David Stearns conversation. So let us begin with the very first question for David Stearns, and then you will hear us continuously pause it, comment on it, and play it again. So let's kick it off a chat with the president of the New York Mets, David Stearns. David, did you accomplish all you set out to do this offseason, or do you still consider the offseason going, or how do you look at it? Yeah, I think increasingly the offseason extends into spring training now, and and I think that's the case this year as well. There will be transaction activity unquestionably throughout the industry um, in the coming weeks. It may extend until March. I don't really know, um, uh, but we feel good about our team. Um, I, I feel like we're in a good spot heading into camp. We're always going to look to improve where we can, but I feel good about where our team is right now. All right, we'll pause it right there. I I got to tell you, I like that answer because I think one of the ways David could have gone was, yeah, there's free agents out there, but we're good. We're done. Now, he does say he's comfortable with the roster and comfortable with the team, but clearly that answer keeps it open that the Mets could make an addition or two. And, you know, we talked about this on an episode a couple of Ricos ago about how weird it is that there are so many free agents remaining. Obviously, guys that aren't necessarily linked with the Mets, Matt Chapman, Cody Pellinger. Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery, but we are on the eve of spring training and there is a horde of free agents available. Now, the ones we're mostly attached to would be the designated hitter option. So guys like J.D. Martinez, Jorge Soler. But I think that answer clearly shows you 
that David Stearns is saying, we're happy with our team, but could we make another move? Sure. And he also says, hey, this thing may go into March, which is crazy to think about that this MLB offseason is now going through spring training and possibly going through weeks of workouts and into spring training games before everything gets cleaned up. So I like that answer. All right, hit play. What is, it, what is the thing that stands out the most about uh, uh, your additions this offseason? I think we've gotten deeper as a club, and that's something that uh, that probably hurt us a little bit last year um, when when some of the guys at the top of the roster went down. Um, uh, it, it was tougher for this team to, to backfill. And look, when, when you have superstar players have injuries, it's always going to be tough to backfill. Uh, but I do think we're, we're positioned well right now to handle the inevitable uncertainty that a major league season brings. And uh, we've got, we're going to have a lot of good quality major league players uh, in that clubhouse when camp begins. Uh, do I agree that the Mets are a deeper team? I think we're deeper when it comes to bullpen arms. Are we deeper when it comes to rotation arms? I mean, think about it. You've got Senga, Quintana, Severino, Hauser, and Manaya essentially as your rotation. Your starting pitching depth is actually pretty similar to what it was a year ago. You know, Tyler McGill is starting pitching depth. Jose Budo is starting pitching depth. Joey Lucchese is starting pitching depth. Then you've got some of the younger arms, Christian Scott, Dominic Hamill. But I don't necessarily know if I feel like the starting pitching is deeper than it was a year ago. I think the bullpen is like, I'll give him that, you know, after Edwin Diaz between Rayleigh and Deekman and Fujinami and Lopez and Smith and, you know, Phil Bickford and Reed Garrett and Michael Tonkin and Max Cranick and Johan Ramirez. Like, I guess a little bit position player wise. I think that they've got outfielders. They've got, you know, major league caliber fourth outfielders like Tyrone Taylor and Harrison Bader. You know, Joey Wendell gives you depth in the infield, but I don't I don't know how much deeper they actually are. I think a lot of that is to be determined. Obviously, David Stern spent a lot of time adding depth, but, you know, how much track record is there a lot of the guys that they added? So I'll give them the bullpen. I'm not sure about everything else. All right, keep going, David. Hey, Dave. I think Steve in his, the past couple of years had kind of made it clear what the, the vision and the goals were for the Mets, the World Series being certainly the goal. Now, you coming in in the first year, what, what's your vision of a, of a successful year uh, for the Mets and for what you guys are trying to accomplish? Look, the, the vision that Steve laid out at the front end of his ownership tenure is still very much the vision of this organization. We expect ourselves and our fan base certainly expects us to be a championship caliber organization. Um, that is success uh, for our organization. Um, and, and that's the, the bar that we're going to measure ourselves against. That's a very, by the way, that's a very nothing answer. Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> you know, we're, we're the bar that Steve set when he came in was winning a World Series. That was the expectation. Now we're talking broader about being a championship organization. What does that mean other than winning the World Series? Luckily, he does elaborate on it. Let's hear more from David Stearns. The way you guys have gone about building a team has been different in years past. Yes. That's why it's been important to, to build the farm system up. So that's why I ask, is, is it too much to say that this is, you know, you don't go into show up in spring training and say, obviously the goal is to win the World Series, yeah. but you can still have a successful year 
So we, I, I, I would stay consistent with what I've said um, previously, which is we expect to um, be a good team. We expect to compete for a playoff spot um, and have exciting baseball at City Field in, in September and October. Um, you know, success can be defined in a lot of different ways, um, but certainly our expectations going into this season is that we're going to have a quality team um, that wins games um, and is a competitive playoff caliber team. So I take that as every game for the 162 we're about to watch better mean something. That That's how I take that. That we can't be sitting here like we did this past year watching games in September that mean nothing. That's the expectation David Stern has put out there. All right, keep going, David. What, what makes a, an organization championship caliber beyond winning the championship? There you go. Look, I think, I think that speaks to um, – everything that an organization stands for, everything that an organization tries to accomplish. So it starts with what our product is on the field. Uh, it means competing for championships and playing at a championship caliber level every single year. Uh, that's really tough to do, but certainly that's our goal. And it extends to how we operate in the community, um, what our fan experience is like. All of these things, uh, I, I think, end up creating a championship caliber organization, um, an organization that fans can be proud to be associated with, an organization that employees can be proud to work for, and a, an organization that players want to join. L let me let me help David out on this, okay? As much <laughs> as when I go to City Field and Pico's to City Field, we want to have a good time. We want to eat nice hot dogs that taste good. And we want to not pay an arm and a leg for parking. And we don't want to wait on crazy lines to go to the bathroom. What really solves all of this, David, is winning. Like the first answer to his question is the answer. Just win. And what a championship level organization does every single season. And I'll give you an example. I know this is going to piss Pete off to hear this. But it's the Yankees. Like the Yankees make the playoffs every single year with the exception of last year. Last year is an exception, and that's what I want. And that's a championship-caliber organization where missing the playoffs becomes a shock, where having games that don't matter in the middle of September is an abnormality. That's what I think a championship organization is. Now, obviously, we want to win a World Series at some point. You know, we want to have that parade. But I think when you talk about being a consistent winner, it's that. Like, our worst seasons should be being the, the last team to make the playoffs. That should be our worst season. And our best season should be winning over 100 games and you know possibly being in the World Series and, dare I say, winning the World Series. So all that other, all other crap, and I don't want to say being in the community is crap. I understand the importance of that. But all that other stuff that he talks about, it doesn't matter nearly as much as just winning. You win, free agents will want to come here. You win, people want to, will want to go to the ballpark. You win... We're a championship caliber organization. Am I right, Pete? Can I just add to that? Because the one thing that you said, if we win, free agents will want to come here. If you win consistently, that yes. has been the biggest issue with the Mets forever. They don't win consistently. They win and then they fall off. They win, they fall off. We need this, this, this system built well, and be strong. Well, that's why like, you can't see what Pete's reaction was when I said Yankees, you cringe. The Yankees until last year made the playoffs six consecutive years. 
We as a franchise haven't done it more than two consecutive years. So that's the bar. The bar is, and of course, yes, to win the World Series. But in terms of being a consistent winner like you laid out, that's what I'm talking about. Like I want to sit here, you know, for six straight years talking about making the playoffs. Six straight years of having Rico Bronia, the Divisional Series Edition. Rico Bronia, the League Championship Series Edition. And dare I say, Rico Bronia, the World Series Edition. Anyhow, oh. back to David Stearns. Oh, wait, so you're saying you're, you're over the Rico Pro in your 75-win season? <laughs> yeah. One and done, my friend. One and done. <laughs> okay. hey, Dave, what do you hope to learn about your club over these next handful of weeks? It's, it's not only the club. For me, it's this is an incredibly um, useful period these next seven weeks to learn about the entire organization. This is the only time over the course of the calendar year where you've got the vast majority of people uh, throughout the organization in one place. I'm going to get to meet a whole lot of people face-to-face. -face. I'm going to get to see uh, not only our major league players, but our minor league players in person. So I think it's that global familiarity that I'm really looking forward to, and especially this first year is going to be really important for me. Just All right. Wants to meet the organization. That's fine. Keep going. Let's hear more from David Stearns. That on the expectations question, is this a club that you see maybe competing for a division or just wild card? Because you, you leave it at playoffs. Yeah, and and look, we're we're in a really good division, right? We're we're we're, we're in a really good division. Um, the Braves have been one of the best teams in baseball for um, for a while now. The Phillies have had some very successful years of late, so we understand the quality of competition. Um, in in our division i also understand that the external expectations aren't going to have us um with the braves right now and that's that's understandable given the year um that that we're coming off of um and so i, I think our focus is being as good as we can possibly be um and we believe that's going to be a good team so that answer you know i sort of appreciate some of the things he says because i think he's being direct without being direct if you know what i mean like he's not saying the way I'm going to describe it, but I take it that way, which is we're not as good as the Braves. That's what I took from that answer. Yeah, we're not as good as the Braves. No shit, Sherlock. We're not as good. Like, that's what I took from David Stearns, even if he didn't, you know, say it as bluntly as I'm saying it, but I took it that way. We're not as good as Atlanta. We're probably not as good as Philadelphia. This is a really good division, but I think we can be a playoff team. I think he is been pretty honest with the expectations. Now, there's a lot of people out there that may not agree with him and may say we're not that good, but I think he has clearly set the bar as, you know, I think this can be a contending team, low to mid-80s, chance to make the playoffs, but no, I'm not going to sit here at a press conference in the middle of February and tell you we're as good as Atlanta because that would be a lie. So I think he's being kind of honest with that answer. Well, Ev, the one thing you said in the beginning of the podcast was there's a ton of free agents still out there, right? Like there's a right. buttload. Um, if you look around, let's just look at the NL itself. How many teams are better than the Mets? And you can count them. There yeah. are teams that are better, but there's not like it's not like there's 13 better teams. No, I, I think that there are a few teams that are clearly better than the Mets. The Atlanta Braves are clearly better than the Mets. Nothing this offseason or the few weeks of spring training is going to change that. The L.A. Dodgers are clearly better than the Mets. Again, nothing is really going to change that. And I would say the Phillies are better than the Mets. Outside of that, you got a lot of National League teams that are in that bundle. The bundle of mediocrity. 
the bundle of, hey, if things break right, we can be really good. But the Atlanta Braves and the Philadelphia Phillies happen to be in the NL East. So when he's asked directly, can you compete for the division? I think David Stearns was blunt in saying, not really. You know, if, we're, if we're being honest. Now, the good news is, and I've said this a lot you know, on the fan, and I've said it a little bit here on the Rico, winning the division, it just doesn't matter as much as it used to. Like, I, I want them to win the division. We all do. But clearly, the lessons of the first two years of this new playoff format is just make the playoffs. Let's listen to more from David Stearns. Through four months on the job, most of an offseason, what do you think is the most important change that's been made so far? Um, you know, I don't know. I, I'd like to think we've we've continued to build upon some of the progress that this organization has made over the past couple of years. Um, I'm very excited about some of the people that I get to work with, both people who have um, been here previously and, and guys like Carlos Mendoza, um, Andy Green, Chris Gross, uh, Eduardo Brizuela, folks that, that I've brought in. Um, so I think, I think as I look at where our organization is now, um, I'm excited about the direction. Uh, I think we've got good people here and like, we're about to embark on the eight or nine month marathon that is a major league baseball season. Um, and we're all going to learn a lot during that period. I'm going to learn a lot about our organization, um, where we stack up, where we stand. Uh, and then, you know, at some, at some time from now, um, I'm going to have a more educated opinion uh, on how to plot us going forward. Yeah, that sounds like the typical, I will use this year to evaluate answer, which I know, Pete, you've said before. Obviously, we think of it in more in terms of players, but a lot of it is guys and gals inside the organization. Anyhow, keep going there, David. As the Major League roster goes in spring training, what do you see as the areas of particular competition? Yeah, so we, we've got some spots in, in the, the bullpen, the last couple spots, probably last two or so spots of, of the pen um, where there's going to be some competition. I think we've got some spots um, at, at the back end of the position player grouping as well. Um, the, the DH spot, um, uh, a bench roll or platoon bat spot. Um, and so that's, that's going to be exciting. And we also know that things change over the course of camp. There will be injuries that pop up inevitably, um, that change how we look at certain roles. So, um, you know, I think from a competition standpoint, my perspective, um, and I certainly respect you, you have all have, have things you need to write early in camp. Um, and so we'll do our best to answer our questions, but from my perspective, I don't really start to drill down on that until we get into like the second week of March um, and we see who um, is still healthy, who's on track to, to play um, on opening day. Cause sometimes it looks a little bit different when we get to that time frame than it might today. All right. So a couple of things from that answer, number one, no mention of the rotation. So I think we could take it face value. The rotation set, assuming everybody's healthy. Senga, Quintana, Severino, Hauser, Manaya, not a big surprise. Number two, he said about two or three bullpen spots. Pretty much what we figured based on the guaranteed contracts that have been handed out, you know, barring injury, Edwin Diaz, Brooks Raley, Jake Diekman, Shintaro Fujinami, Jorge Lopez, Drew Smith. That's six spots. That only gives you two extra spots in the bullpen in which you could be looking at, I mean, there's a whole host of guys 
Luke Casey as a long man, Budo as a long man, Josh Walker, Phil Bickford, Reed Garrett, Grant Hartwig, Michael Tonkin, Max Cranick, Johan Ramirez, Austin Adams, a lot of different options. Cole Salser, but you're looking at two bullpen spots. He mentions the back of the bench. Yeah, I mean, you kind of know what the outfield is, assuming they don't add somebody. Starling Marte, Brandon Nimmo, Harrison Bader, DJ Stewart, Tyrone Taylor. You have an idea of the infield, Alonzo McNeil, Lindor, Beatty Vientos, let's say Joey Wendell and maybe one more spot, which could be Zach Short. You got your two catchers. But one thing he didn't say, and he's about to be pressed on it, so don't worry, was is there a competition for third base? Because he never mentioned that. Like the opening day third baseman, the everyday third baseman, same thing at DH. Is that a competition? I thought it was interesting he didn't say anything about it. Luckily, the reporters would circle back and press him on that. Other than Ronnie Mauricio, is everybody good health-wise right now? Uh, yeah, so uh, David Peterson would be the other one. Yeah. But, but, but yes, I don't anticipate any um, any surprises. I think the the only other one would be um, a non-roster signing. We had Kyle Crick um, has a calf strain and uh, and will miss a good portion of camp, if not the whole thing. By the way, that injury report, which sounds really nice because we already knew about Mauricio, which sucks. We know about David Peterson. We found out about Kyle Crick being out for basically most of the spring training. That's going to change. Like, enjoy that now. Enjoy the fact that there are no injuries because I'm telling you, by the end of this week, with pitchers and catchers reporting, we'll have new injuries to worry about. That's for sure. Where are David Peterson and Ronnie Mauricio at right now? Um, so Ronnie, you know, still at the early stages of, of his rehab. Um, and this is, this is going to be a long haul for him. We knew that, uh, when we got the diagnosis of the injury, everything's going fine so far. Um, but we're still at the, at the early stages. Um, and I think David's right on track. I mean, we, we, we anticipate him, uh, participating for us this year, um, pitching for us this year, uh, hopefully being an important guy for us down the stretch. Um, you know, when that exactly turns out to be, we'll know more probably over the next month or so, but, um, you know, we, we certainly expect for him to pitch for us over the summer and, and maybe towards the early part of the summer. That, that injury, I think we talked about this at the end of last year that we came to the conclusion, at least I did. And a lot of us as Met fans that David Peterson should be a reliever and we should see what he can do out of the bullpen. And I was sort of hoping last year after those trades that they would keep him in the bullpen just to see what he can be. I think this injury, assuming the Mets rotation is strong this season and they're not desperate for arms come June or July when Peterson comes back, this almost may force their hand to look at David Peterson in 2024 as a reliever. And maybe that's where the next part of his career will turn. We'll see. You were asked about uh, the competition just a minute. You didn't mention third base. Does should we take that to mean we kind of look at Brett Beatty as, as the as the? That's fair. I, I think we're we're going to have some competition there. Um, you know, I, I think we uh, believe in in Brett there. Um, uh, we believe that Mark Vientos uh, can also play that position. We've got Joey Wendell um, on the roster. Zach Short is in camp and has played that position defensively at a very high level in the past. So, um, yeah, I, I think, uh, there will be some level of competition there. Yes. So I thought that was really interesting. Cause I mentioned he didn't bring up third base as a competition on his own when he was asked about, Hey, competitions in spring training, that answer tells me there is no competition at third base. 
Brett Beatty is going to be the third baseman for the New York Mets on opening day in 2024, and he's going to get the bulk of the playing time. You know, Mark Vientos will get a chance to hit, and he'll probably mostly DH, maybe play a little first base when Pete Alonso needs a day, which I don't know how often that's going to be, assuming Pete stays healthy. So I think that answer tells you all you need to know about the way they view third base. Joey Wendell, Zach Short are backups. Mark Vientos could play third base. But I think for the most part, that answer, because David Stearns is a smart guy. I think he has reasons with how he answers every question. Kind of tells us that if you're expecting, and I sort of was to a degree, a third base battle here in spring training, we're not getting it. Brett Beatty's the third baseman. They're going to let him sink or swim. Obviously, if he's a disaster for the first few months of the season, they could very well pull the plug. But I think coming out of the gate, Beatty's the guy, and Vientos will be more viewed as a designated hitter than as a third baseman. Temptation to add uh, another bat to this roster. Look, there, there's always temptation to get better, um, and, and there's there's always temptation uh, when there are good players available um, uh, to see how they may fit on your roster. And there's no perfect answer to this one. We've, we've talked about this one before, and, and um, you know, when, when you add a more established player, it's going to just by nature, take playing time away from younger players. Um, and we have to walk that balance. Um, and, uh, and and that's that's what we're trying to do. And this answer continues to piss me off. I mean, <laughs> you can balance the two things. All you got to do is look at the roster, look at available playing time spots, and you can see that adding a bat is not going to stymie the growth of young players. It's not. There's still plenty of at-bats to go around. So Stearns continues to be, I can see a adding a bat. Eh, we don't want to. It may stymie young players. And it's almost like he's giving a half answer because he doesn't know how this is ultimately going to end with adding a bat. You mentioned in a recent interview that you did some consulting work in your off year. Could you share what that was and what you learned from it? What are you going to bring? Uh, what from that will you bring? here yeah so I, I won't share the specifics of it but i i, I did um uh, a little bit of work in 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 some other sports particularly european football um and it was it was fascinating to just see how uh how other sports um go about trying trying to solve some similar questions and problems that we have in baseball um every sport looks at this a, a little bit differently um, and so exchanging notes, um, learning, it was, it was fascinating to me and, um, you know, had a little time. And so I was able to dig into some things that, uh, otherwise I, I wouldn't have. Dumb question. Is European football soccer? Is that what he's, when he says European football, is, it, is he that. saying soccer, Pete? I, that's what I think. That's, I, okay. that's what I believe. Cause they call soccer football in Europe. Right. I know, but he's talking to us. Can you just say soccer so we know what the hell he's talking about? No, he's being a little pompous right there. By the way, I (laughs) I didn't realize that in in European football, they needed, you know, some teams were looking for an extra bat. You know, I I didn't realize that. (laughs) Me neither. Stupid. Hey, just kind of what Mike said about, you know, potentially targeting like another bat or something. You could just go out and, you know, if you needed more established pitching help, there's free agent pitching there. If you want on the bat, there's free agent DHs. But does your first year, is it important 
that you use that time to evaluate, like you mentioned, yeah. what you do have in-house before you decide to take moves? Is that part of the equation? So there, yeah, there are a couple things there. So the first is I, I think where we are in our organizational cycle, frankly, regardless of whether this is my first year or 10th year, um, uh, it's important for us to learn about some of these younger players. We, we When you have players who um, have pretty consistently performed at the AAA level, at some point, you have to be willing to give them opportunities um, at the major league level, understanding it may not go perfectly. Um, and I, and I understand that, um, that uh, it may not go perfectly. Um, I think we will be better off as an organization for it. Um, but I understand the risks involved. Um, and then in terms of, you know, the, the other part of it, you mentioned sort of the pitching, if we want a more established pitching, we'd go outside pitching. Um, I, I think part of it there um is understanding the longer term commitments as well and trying to create uh an organization where we really can be competitive year in year out um have that sustainable um competitiveness win every year and part of that uh is allowing yourself to take big shots in the free agent market um when appropriate and also being a little bit more restrained when appropriate so the the pitching aspect, not that any of us expects that they're going to go after any of the big pitchers remaining, specifically Blake Snell and Jordan Montgomery. That was word salad for saying we think the pitchers that available that are available suck. That's what I took out of that because, as we've talked about, the Mets have one starting pitcher signed long term past this year in Kodai Senga, so they have a lot of flexibility, <laughs> tons of flexibility. So when you go through what he just said about adding a starting pitcher, that's almost like code and a nice way of saying, yeah, we don't think Blake Snell's worth it. Yeah, we don't think Jordan Montgomery's worth it. That, that's what I took out of that answer about the starting pitching. But I'm not bothered by it because I don't think any of us expect or, or no, nor hoping that they're going to go hard after Blake Snell. I, I was on with Jordan Montgomery, but I've kind of made peace with the fact that they're not interested. A as far as managing the organizational cycle that they're at right now. I love some of the phrases that he is there where we are in the cycle of the organization. Again, you can do two things at once. I, I am totally with giving young players who performed at a high level of AAA an opportunity. I I'm not against that. Brett Beatty deserves a full year to play, or at least a bulk of at bats to play more. I'm not judging him or throwing him away just based on last year. So, so I agree with him about that. But I think this roster still has room to add a major league bat while also evaluating the young players that they have. Uh, speaking of the word salad for the pitching staff, I don't think – I think we're at the point where Montgomery and Snell are going to sign, like, max a three-year deal. Mm -hmm. If that happens, like if it's a two- or three-year deal for either Montgomery or Snell – do you think that there's a possibility that the Mets can possibly be on that? Because now you're talking about like the short-term, short-term contract that you can buy out that last year, you throw it yeah. up or whatever it case. Not, is. not Snell because of the draft pick attachment. I just think it'll be too costly. I guess Jordan Montgomery, but it just doesn't feel like he wants to come to, to, to New York and it doesn't feel as if the Mets have a strong interest in him. So I'd rule Blake Snell out immediately because even if it's a short-term deal, I don't think it would be, a, be worth giving up the draft pick compensation and B, I don't think the Mets would be interested, but clearly based on that answer, like David Stearns is keeping it open that they could add a bat. 
Like he is clearly not ruling that out. He, he does feel like he's ruling out the idea of adding a starting pitcher. Do you, do you have a set budget or is it uh, kind of case by case as you go along here? I, I think, I think the way Steve operates is it's always, it's always um, what's in the best interest of the organization. Um, and so I, I don't, think he operates um with uh with a hard line that's right is that the best answer we heard at this press conference there's no budget i just have to go into his office and say hey if you give me 12 million dollars for jd martinez we can win a world series but if it's only going to get us to 82 wins yeah he's not going to approve it so he definitely keeps it open that there's no hard budget from steve it just comes down to the move that he looks at, I guess, with David Stern's approval and says, yeah, that one's totally worth it. Let's go. I mean, I w- they could have asked that the first question and then closed up the conference. <laughs> they, they, they didn't answer the questions. And by the way, this just shows why David Stern's is on a different level than Billy Epler because the amount of money that Epler put into this ball club the past two years didn't really accomplish anything last year at all, 75 wins. Stearns is going to make sure that every dollar is used properly. So I, yes. I do appreciate that. Dave, might there come a time when you're trying to also weigh those two things of evaluating the young players, but also thinking about 2024, uh, might there be a time where like the price for some of these guys or just the opportunity in general is just way too good to pass up? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's out of the question. Um, I think we're always trying to evaluate opportunity. Um, we're always trying to understand the risk reward and the trade-offs. Uh, so I, I don't think that's out of the question. Okay. So the- may, may I ask a question with that? So basically David Stern says, if the price comes down so much on a guy like JD Martinez, does that change this discussion about playing time and pursuing a bat? And he said, yes. So then what are we talking about? Then it's not about playing time for young players. Then it's not about hey, we need to figure out, is it worth adding a major league bat, a guy who's going to be in the lineup every day, with it taking at-bats away from a young player? Which, by the way, as I've contended many, many times, I don't think is the case, but the guy's price tag coming down would make it worth it. So then it's not about weighing playing time versus a bat. It's literally saying, is this guy going to be worth the money? That's what you're determining. You're determining... Hey, J.D. Martinez for 11 years, I'm good. J.D. Martinez for 17 years, I'm out. Okay, 17 million, not years. 11 million, good. 17 million, not. So then it's about money. And then that goes back to the previous question about Steve Cohen having a budget. It's not that he has a budget. It comes down to, I'd be willing to pay this guy this amount, but at this amount, screw it, we'll stick with Mark Vientos and DJ Stewart. I mean, but that does that... Is that efficient thinking? Is that efficient thinking like, hey, I prefer to change my game plan because we have a, a better better budgeted deal on our, on our table? Yeah, I mean, look, it's a good business decision, I guess, right? You, you probably, if you're David Stearns and you're his front office, you've got players and then you've got an amount of money that you think that player is worth. And so if they view J.D. Martinez as worth $11 million, and right now his agent's asking for $18 million, you're not going to make that move. I get that, and I get that that's how you determine sometimes in signing a free agent or not, but then it's not about playing time for young players, that that's not really the debate you're having. It's more the value of the free agent that's out there. 
in the Dominican Republic. What was your sense of where Starling Marte is at and what you could possibly or reasonably expect from him this year? Yeah, the most encouraging thing there is he's healthy. I mean, it, it, it was clear watching him play that he was healthy. Um, the game I was at, he had to handle a number. He was playing right field, and he had to handle a number of balls down the right field line. And he got there easily. It looked like Starling Marte moving in the outfield. Um, so that that was very encouraging. By the way, I don't think this should be diminished. I know that Starling Marte was terrible last season. And we are mostly going to be skeptical about what he's going to be this season. But last year, the Mets were 75 and 87. They were honestly a 74 win team, not a 75 win team. They got that cheap victory at the end of the season. That doesn't, that shouldn't count. But if Starling Marte was the guy from 2022 and not the guy from 2023 who missed a lot of time and was clearly not healthy, the Mets win. And I know that war is supposed to define this, but I'm just doing this off the eye test of watching the Mets every day. The Mets win five more games, which means they're an 80-win team. So I don't think we should ignore the importance of Starling Marte and the impact he could have if he truly is healthy. If what David Stearns is saying is true, and he looks like a different guy defensively, because we know he was a mess defensively last year, and he's going to be closer to the guy from 2022, that does make an enormous difference to this team. Uh, I mean, unless uh, unless I saw the play from like a years ago, there were some plays he was looking terrible at in in uh, in with the winter ball league that he was playing. Yeah, yeah, he like missed the fly ball that was right to him. Like I, I feel again, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, but he hasn't looked perfect out there. No, no, there. but look, to be fair, and I'm not saying you're wrong, we're not watching every inning of Starling Marte in winter ball, so I don't know what he is. I I'll admit that. It's one of those things that we'll get a better idea of in spring training. Even then, I'm not sure if we're going to have a full answer. I'm just simply saying, if David is right, that we are going to see a healthy Starling Marte this year, it makes a monumental difference on the outcome of this team, on how good this team can be. Uh, how would you say your time with the Brewers has kind of guided the way you've approached this offseason and what have been the, the differences Um it just with this organization that you've seen so far as you go through the offseason for the first time. I think all of my experiences to date hopefully have helped me um, guide me through this first part of the season uh, or my tenure with the Mets. Um, the Brewers in particular, it, it maybe it gave me um, a little bit of a roadmap um, for this for this first year in terms of understanding I'm not going to get to know the organization in a month or two months or three months. It's going to take me a full cycle, a full year to truly get to know the organization, to understand what we have um, and, and to best uh, you know, know where, where things stand. Um, so maybe it's provided me a little, that perspective maybe provides me a little bit more patience as I'm heading into, to this endeavor. Um, but yeah, th this is a different job. It's fundamentally a different job than the one I held with the Brewers. This is a much bigger market. We have much greater resources. Um, we are literally able to um, contemplate transactions for any type of player that is available. And that's, that's very different uh, than what I encountered in Milwaukee. Damn right. It's a very different job. <laughs> it's a very different job. And even though you haven't gone out and made those big spending moves, we're expecting it, David. We're expecting it real soon. 
talked about getting to know the whole organization over these next seven weeks. You know, how long does that process take until you're comfortable with your knowledge of your entire organization, knowing it's probably never perfect? Yeah, so I think like every week probably feels like it's getting a little bit better. Um, but I, I think it's a full year. I really do think it's going through a full baseball cycle. Um, so going through the GM meetings and the winter meetings with the group, going through a spring training, a season, a draft, a trade deadline, a pennant race, um, an off-season preparation. I, I think going through that full cycle once uh, with a new organization is what provides that comfort level and that feeling that that uh, you really know um, your organization inside and out. You know, this would annoy me, this whole I got to get to know the organization thing, give me a full season this would annoy me more if David Stearns didn't say what he said at the beginning of this press conference, which is, hey, hey, we're going out and we're, we're going to be a playoff team, or at least we expect to be contending, because otherwise it would sound like an excuse. Otherwise, it would be, hey, this is our reasoning for why we're not going to be good, that good this season. And I think David Stearns has at least given us as fans the belief that he thinks this team should be competing for a playoff spot. Last week when you got asked about Pete Alonzo, you said... Oh, uh, here we go. <laughs> essentially, to focus on this season. Do you anticipate not um, discussing with him a long-term deal until next offseason? Or do you, was that going to be broached before the season? I, I think that's probably the most likely outcome. We're, we're not going to get into the specifics of, of any particular negotiation. Um I'm not going to provide you guys updates uh, on our on any conversations that uh, exist back and forth. But um, look, when you have a really talented player who's really good, who's entering his final year of club control, who happens to be represented by Scott Boris, um, these things generally end up uh, into free agency. And we understand that this is an organization that's dealt with that before with really good players. Um, and it's ended up in a perfectly fine spot. So uh yeah, I have not seen Pete here yet. Haven't talked to him here yet. Um, but what we're going to talk about is, look, let's go out and have a great year together. Um, you go out, have a great year. Um, let's have a great year as a team. And uh, if we do that, we're both going to be set up, the organization and Pete, going to be set up very well um, going into the offseason. All right. There's a, there's a lot of things I need to say about this. First of all, this is going to be irrational. But David Stern seems to have the biggest grin on his face when he talks about this. And it's obnoxious. Now, I don't know if it's nervousness. I don't know if it's I'm sick of talking about this. I don't know what the hell it is. But David Stearns looks like the uh, what's that phrase? The chicken who ate the canary? The clown who ate the canary? I don't uh, know. I thought you go a pig and shit. <laughs> that too. Like he's always <laughs> smiling about this subject. There's nothing to smile about, David. All right, there's nothing that funny about it. So he's always got this grin on his face. Number two, I don't expect him to give updates about the negotiations if there is one with Scott Boris. I think that was one of the mistakes Brian Cashman made a few years ago when he was very honest about the negotiations between him and Aaron Judge. So I don't begrudge Stearns or Boris for not openly talking about it. I'd love to know that they were talking, which he didn't really confirm here. But the other thing that he said that really pisses me off. And this comes from a Met fan that David Stearns claims to be. He grew up as a Met fan. Is he tried to minimize this by saying, well, he gets the free agency. 
And that's worked out perfectly well in the past. Outside of Brandon Nimmo, when exactly has it worked out perfectly, David? Did it work out perfectly with Jacob deGrom when he got to free agency? No. His previous contract was done before free agency. Did it work out well when it happened with Jose Reyes? Did it work out well when it happened with Zach Wheeler? Did it work out well when it happened with Daryl Strawberry? Like, literally, who has it worked out well with? When the Mets re-signed David Wright, again, it was a year before he got to free agency. Was it when he was a free agent? So if you're describing this as, hey, it's no big deal. He gets to free agency. We've done this before. Outside of Brandon Nimmo, I guess you could tell me Edwin Diaz. When does it ever work out well? More times than not in the history of this franchise, it doesn't work out well. So I don't like that. Hey, calm down. We've done this before. Not really. It hasn't happened that often. So that doesn't make me feel much better because, look, Jacob deGrom's free agency proved this. All you need is one team. All you need is one general manager and one owner to make a contract offer that you deem stupid, that you deem completely out of whack. And if that happens, the guy's likely gone. Like one of the answers after DeGrom left was, well, Evan, were you really willing to give him that amount of years and that amount of money? No, but when you let a guy get to free agency, you open up the possibility of that happening. So where are we with Pete Alonso? Look, we're in the same place we've been for months and months and months. He is likely going to be a free agent. The Mets are not trading him. I don't think that's realistic at all. He's going to get the free agency. And I think the Mets will aggressively try to keep him, but there's always that risk that one team makes a dumb offer. And that's where we're at. Now, Stearns is right. Does it benefit everybody for him to have a monster year? Of course. Best year he has, it benefits the team. It benefits him in free agency. It benefits everybody. But this ferret that's growing on my face is going to continue to grow because clearly <laughs> there is no extension in sight, even though David Stearns has asked about it basically every single day. First of all, uh, two names that come to mind that worked out when I guess it came to free agency was Oliver Perez and Yohan Cespedes. <laughs> <laughs> Works for everybody, right? No, And I think maybe he's having like flashbacks from working for the Brewers because – they worked out deals with free agents. I don't know, but like he hasn't had any experience with the Mets. I understand, like, quote unquote, just as a franchise, but between Steve Cohen and him, they haven't really done enough. So I, I don't like that. The other thing is, Pete Alonso's gone. Like, that's what I got from that. He said it, you said it. If Pete Alonso has a good season, it's going to be great for both the Mets and Pete Alonso when he hits free agency because he's going to get a payday and the Mets probably had a good season enough that they competitive and probably the playoffs. But you think he's gone? I mean, you think the Mets yeah. wouldn't even try to keep him? The way he smiled, the first thing I noticed was his smile and that's his uncomfortableness of, this guy's not coming back. I just don't know how to tell him. Well, That's the way I read it. You know why what I don't? Say? I'll tell you why I don't fully believe that. Because I think if David Stearns knew, you know what? It ain't worth keeping this guy. It's just not. Like, I like him, but he's clearly asking for way much more money than we're ever going to give him. Someone's going to give it to him and he's gone. I think he would rip the Band-Aid off and trade him. Because I think if you know the guy's not going to be here, as opposed to losing someone in free agency, which to me is far worse. I think losing a guy in free agency uh, for nothing 
essentially a comp pick, it's worse than just saying, you know what, F this, we're going to trade a guy for a lot of prospects because a trade like that can work as much as I'm not a fan of it, as much as I wouldn't do it, as much as prospects are really, really risky. So I don't. I think his smile is more effort. We're going to let the guy go to free agency, and we got a good chance to keep him. Well, we got a really good chance to keep him. Maybe that grin is we know we're going to keep him. You know, maybe the grin is I got more money than God. Like, <laughs> go have fun. Trust me, when push comes to shove, we'll be the highest bidder. We're just banking on the fact that that'll be a better deal for us a year from now than us making the deal today in which we're negotiating against ourselves. But I got to fight back with you on this because we've seen we've seen it in this past free agency. Shohei Otani was, I mean, he was on a team that was going nowhere. Angels elected to just let him go to free agency. Like they didn't trade him. I, I, yeah, but I think the Angels also allowed themselves to get out bid for him. And the Mets in the back of their mind, they don't have to let that happen. Like they can ultimately make the highest bid on Pete Alonso. And I, I've made this very, very clear on the air, on the fan, and certainly on the Rico is that I think we get lost in how much money a player is worth. It, the Mets should just pay him whatever the highest bid is. Like, I hate to be that, as simplistic as that, but what are we freaking out about? Like, what's the difference between 240 and 220? You know what I mean? Like, you have a billionaire owner. The purpose of him being here is to make sure that you don't lose homegrown talent to other teams. So, and I said that about Aaron Judge, too, by the way, in free agency. People would call up and say, well, what's your red line? Like, what's the amount of money in years where you'd say, I'm not bringing him back? And my answer would be like, there is no red line. I will be the highest bidder. If he comes to me with an offer from another team, I'm not going to let that other team outbid me. And I kind of have the same idea about Pete. Like when you have billionaire owners, when you have big market owners, you don't allow yourselves to be outbid. But look, I, understand. I, I don't know what the hell's going to happen. I'm just saying I don't look at this as he knows he's gone because it would be stupid to have that thought and not trade him then, which I don't think he would do because I don't think he has that thought. Right, but here's the last thing I'll ask you on this because it also depends on how they evaluate Pete. They're going to spend this whole year evaluating this team up and down, and Pete's going to be the number one, uh, you know, public enemy number one the entire season because he's going to have the biggest draw come free agency. But yet the Mets are sitting here nickel and diming JD Martinez or somebody else as a as a freaking bat, and I understand because the playing time for Brett Beatty and all these other young kids. But we're talking about a one-year rental of J.D. Martinez between 11 and $17 million that we're just talking about. And th and that's a big deal to them. So why would Pete Alonso for $250 million or $150 million? That's a big difference. Yeah, but I think it's very different when you're talking about a one-year deal on a 36-year-old or 37-year-old DH versus a face of the franchise decision that you're making. Anyhow, go on, David Stearns. We've talked enough. <laughs> Edwin says he's feeling good. He's moving well. Is it reasonable to expect that he can be the same pitcher that he was in 2022? Well, 2022 is a really high bar for anyone. Um, 2022 was an historic uh, level of production for a major league pitcher. Um, but I would expect Edwin, um, based on his health and who he is as a person and his determination, um, to be a very good major league closer for us. By the way, I, I've said the same thing about Edwin Diaz. Like, being 2022 Edwin Diaz is a pipe dream, only because that's one of the great closing seasons you'll ever see. 
just let him not be the 2019 Edwin Diaz. <laughs> if you could avoid being that, we'll be real happy. But we also heard from Edwin Diaz on Monday as well as David Stearns. And Edwin seems to be in good spirits. He seems like he's ready to go. And that's certainly a big positive having Edwin Diaz back. What does having a, a closer of that caliber do for the rest of the bullpen and how you build it? It, it makes everything so much easier. Um, uh, like I was incredibly fortunate during my time in Milwaukee to have really good closers throughout the tenure there. And it makes building the rest of your pen and allowing those guys to, to feel comfortable in their roles um, a heck of a lot easier. And so, uh, you know, if Edwin continues on this progression um, and he's able to anchor the back end of the pen, that certainly makes uh, the rest of the puzzle fit a little bit more neatly. Yep. No doubt. I mean, no question. He had Josh Hader, he had Devin Williams. Now he has Edwin Diaz. Having a back-end elite-level closer makes everybody's job easier, including ours, because it means that maybe in ninth innings we aren't going to freak out and hide under our desks. <laughs> Progressed far enough where you were confident in building out the, the bullpen this offseason that he would be able to, to anchor it that way? That That's certainly our, our expectation based on where he is health where he is health-wise. Um we also understand he hasn't pitched in a major league game in well over a year at this point, and um, there may be some rust, uh, and we're going to have to account for that and, and give him some time. I know he doesn't think uh, there's going to be any rust, um, and uh, and he may be right, uh, but we have to understand that that uh, it's been a while since he's been on a major league mound, um, and uh, and we'll do our best to support him as he as he gets reacclimated to that. All I ask from Edwin Diaz is don't make this opening day 2005 when Braden Looper walked on the mound and completely took a giant turd all over Cincinnati. Like, you're going to blow some games early on. I understand that. Don't let it be opening day, and don't let it be in epic fashion. Outside of that, we'll, we'll cut you some slack, Edwin. I promise you. Dave, the, the club last year proceeded very carefully with Kodai Senga's starts. Do you anticipate that same kind of... Uh, workload for him or does he get more accustomed to like the regular traditional you know every, every fourth yeah. day instead? it's probably both so I, I do think it is wise for us um to, to be somewhat cautious and and the schedule in april helps us out there a little bit we do have some off days in april that naturally will give him a little bit of extra rest um i would anticipate at times we are going to go to a sixth starter uh you know we're fortunate the way um, our roster is, is constructed. We're fortunate. We, we have um, start multiple starting pitchers um, with options. And so we, we do have this flexibility to really go to that sixth man in the rotation when we want. Um, and so I, I think there will be times during the season when we do that. Yeah, they actually have a stretch it, when they go on their first road trip of the season where they play 13 consecutive days. Now, granted, that may not happen because of rain and because of April weather, so 13 straight days may not be a thing. Um, though a lot of those games are against teams that are only playing once at home or once on the road. You know, They do have one series against Atlanta mixed in earlier in the season, so usually the reason I say that is if a game's rained out, they may be forced to play a doubleheader the next day. So there's going to be a stretch early on. I'd say Senga's third start of the year is going to have to come on regular rest, assuming the Mets are going to be comfortable with him doing that. But David Stearns even pointed out there's going to be times in which they whip out that six-man rotation. A manufacturer may not be the right word, but how do you maybe foster optimism going into this season 
uh, coming off of what happened last year? It's it's fast. Like I don't I don't feel like I need to foster it. Like I, I think the players feel it. And and as I talked to our players throughout the offseason, really from the moment I took the job, um, they wanted me to know how good they think the team is. Um, they they wanted me to know that they didn't think the way 23 played out was indicative of the talent level on the team. Um, and so I, I think that optimism is going to exist. I think those guys uh, and we as an organization have a belief in the talent that's in that room um, and believe this is going to be a fun, enjoyable and competitive season. You know, I think what the media members have to realize, and, and we have to realize as guys on the radio, is that the fans' negativity is not necessarily matching the players' negativity. You know, Francisco Lindor is not coming into this season the way Frank the Tank is and thinking, boy, we're going <laughs> to suck. We're going to lose 105 games. And sometimes, because we live in our own bubble, there's this assumption of, boy, how do you put your arm around Brandon Immo and say, gee, golly, things are going to be okay. Like the Met locker room believes they're going to be good. Uh, that's not a surprise. The Met locker room says, hey, last year we had this really, really bad year in which everything that could go wrong went wrong. And yeah, even though the old relics in Verlander and Scherzer aren't here, I don't think they look at it and say, we're going to suck. That's something that lives in our bubble the bubble of Met fans. And it's not all Met fans. Like, I don't necessarily think we're going to suck. I don't have huge high expectations of winning 100 games or winning a World Series. But as I sit here today in the middle of February on the eve of spring training, I think they're going to win more games than they won last year. Now, does that make me super positive? I, I, I don't know. They only won 75 games last year. But I think some of those questions comes out as if the locker room believes the team is going to suck. And very few teams especially a team with as much talent in that room is actually going to come into spring training thinking they're going to suck. And what is your reaction to major league baseball coming down on uh beer and the, and the phantom deal type stuff? So uh, you know, MLB has concluded its investigation. They issued a statement. Um, we issued a statement beyond that. I'm not going to comment. <laughs> By the way, that was, I ain't talking about this. That was get me the hell out of here. I ain't commenting. Let me refer to MLB statement. Let me refer to the Mets statement. And let me tell you absolutely nothing because I have nothing to say about this. That was what David Stearns did right there. Um, yeah. I Listen, I just, it's tough for me to believe that Billy Epler was the only person involved with all that finagling going on in the Mets organization. Now, maybe, I don't know if you realize this, but David Stearns did a hell of a job turning over a lot of the people in positions of power, I guess, with the Mets. So maybe some of those people that were involved with it are gone too. So maybe they don't need to talk about it anymore. Yeah, I just don't think David Stearns has anything to add because he wasn't here. So asking him about something that went down last year, and look, we, we've talked about it. To me, it's jaywalking. You know, that's the crime that Billy Epler committed. Uh, there's nothing David could add. I'm not mad that he gave no answer, but it was funny to me how he ran away from even talking about that. He had nothing to say about it. What one, one thing? Because uh, that's basically a wrap. They wrapped it up after that. But the one thing. <laughs> By I, the way, yeah, they wrapped it up after that. That's when David Stearns gave the hand signal, "Get me out of here." They just yeah. asked about the Phantom IL. That's my coat to get out of here. <laughs> 
the one thing I did notice about Billy Epler, or not Billy, excuse me, uh, David Stearns is he does have a bit of a cashman to him. Doesn't speak as long. He cuts his answers down, but he has this this um, way about him. And I did notice he smiles a lot. It wasn't just the Pete Alonso stuff. That smirk lasted a long time. I'm waiting to see that flip to be like a. I'm look. I'm a bald Brian Cashman like 20 years later. I don't. I think we may have to wait twenty years for when David Stern starts cursing out the media, and cursing everybody out. I think it, you know one similarity he does have to Cashman, and this is a compliment. Is I do think when you get past the word salad, he gives you a lot of direct answers. You know, I think that the answer about adding a bat, like he's been sort of honest about. You know, he says we're weighing playing time and we're weighing the positives of adding a veteran, but then he basically said if the price comes down. Like, that's the way I take it now. The Mets will add a bat if the price comes down. Now, that may annoy some of us because we're owned by Steve Cohen and we figure that price shouldn't be a factor, but that's the answer we're getting. They're not adding a starting pitcher, and he has been direct with the expectations for this team, which is that they expect to be a playoff team. So early on in this, when he's asked, hey, what's a good season? What's a successful season? And look, I can answer that as a Met fan. I could tell you what I think a successful season is right now in the middle of February. And to me, it's making the playoffs. You know, if we're sitting there watching October baseball, even if it's short, even if it's brief, even if we're quickly excommunicated in the wild card series, I would look back. And while I'd be very disappointed at the time and devastated at the time, because expectations can change throughout a season, I would look back and say, Oh wow, we made the playoffs. Okay. That's a bounce back here. So that's my direct answer as a Met fan. And I think his direct answer has been being a pennant race. You know, not have games that are meaningless in mid to late September. And he has certainly put that bar up that he expects this team to be a playoff team. Carlos Mendoza will talk to the media. I'm not sure if we're going to do this exercise again. I thought this was fun listening to an entire David Stern's press conference and then analyzing every single response. But did you enjoy it? Let's get the feedback of the people. Is that something we should do more of responding to an entire press conference? You can email us to ricob at gmail.com. We have a lot of pods coming this week for spring training. I'll give you a preview. We will give you part two of our series looking back at past off seasons, the good and the bad. We will each have our 10 questions we want answered throughout spring training, and we will make our projections, our predictions for what this 26-man roster will look like come opening day. So we are giving you bonus Ricos throughout the week because guess what? There may be snow on the ground, but baseball's back. Again, subscribe, download, rate, do whatever the hell you do with podcasts. And, of course, you can interact with us us at thericob at gmail.com. We appreciate you listening and downloading to another edition of Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronia podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.